Well, good morning to each one of you. It's good to be here with you. It's good to see some of you that we haven't seen for a long time. It's good to have my cousin John here today. Good to have Christina and all of you visitors here with us. Invite you this morning to turn with me to Ephesians 4. We want to continue our study here in Ephesians 4. Thank you for your prayers. I know a number of you have told me you're praying for me, and I deeply appreciate that this morning. We're going to begin the reading in verse 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Let's pray. We come before you today, Lord, knowing that we need your grace. We need your grace to live as you have taught us to live. And so we ask this morning for grace to open your word, to hear your word, to receive what your spirit has to say to us. Lord, I thank you for the promises of your word and your truth. I just pray, Lord, that you're, you would apply this in your own way to our hearts by your spirit and that we would hear you with open ears and eyes that have been anointed with the eye salve of the grace of God. Thank you so much for all you have done, Lord. And we commend ourselves to you for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we introduced this passage by looking back. We've been working our way through, through Ephesians, and it's taken a little bit of time, but we've come now to this point. And we introduced this because we are, ne- we are now here looking at, at a point where we look back in the beginning book, beginning chapters of Ephesians, and we see as Paul usually does in his, in his epistles, he begins with doctrine. He begins to, to teach us what it means to be saved and what God is, has done, and he teaches us the truths that we need to know. There are things that he lays out for us that, that are done by God in Christ. And then as he comes through the, through the book, he begins to focus on what that means for us. 
What does this mean for us in our practical life? And we're here at the place where we can look back and we can see the doctrine and we can look ahead and we see more practical teaching. And so we're beginning to get to the place where this is the practical. We notice that he says in verse 17, This I say, therefore. Anytime there's a therefore, we need to look and see what is it there for. It is there because he's continuing in something that was previous. And the previous goes all the way back to verse 1 of chapter 4. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Paul here is, is telling, and, and telling them and testifying, he says, in the Lord, that it's a, and it's a continuation of teaching them how they walk worthy or how they walk in accordance with the calling that God has placed on their life in Christ Jesus. That this is now an outworking of the salvation that has been worked in. This is now an outflow of the inflow of the grace of God and what that should look like. We have looked at, how, at, the, at, the, at God's calling for the church, how the gifts are to, manifest, are, are to be manifested and to work together as one. They are to work together for the glory of Christ, not for the exaltation of man. And so we come to this that Paul begins with teaching us how to put off the old man. How to put off the old man. And that is what he's going to to lay out for us in these few verses. The title of this message is Take Off the Old Man and Put On the New Man. Take Off the Old Man and Put On the New Man. And so let's look here in, in verse 17. We begin here by, first of all, we must, point one, identify the old man. We must identify what is he talking about when he's talking about the old man and the flesh. He says that he's testifying in the Lord that we should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. The old man controls the world. And the reason the old man controls the world is because the old man is the work of Satan. And First John, he says that the whole world lies in the lap or in the sway of the wicked one. And so the flesh is, is that innate nature that is, that is native to all of us, that we call our flesh, that we are born with, that is anti-God. And so as a believer now, he's saying, I'm telling you that you should not Though you're now a new Christian, a new person, a new believer, you should not be going and walking back in the ways of the flesh. He's saying that, number one, they have an unproductive or futile mind. Maybe we would, maybe we would challenge this a bit. Some of the most evil men in our society today are some of the smartest men we know. But this, is, this has to do in, with righteousness before God. This has to do with what God is pleased with. This has to do with what God expects from His people. And let's never forget 
that as children of the king, God expects something from us that's greater than what he expects from the world. You and I should be living. We should be a living reflection of who God is. It is our calling in this passage to put off the flesh because the flesh cannot please God. And unless we live in holiness and purity, we will not see God. And so as we look at this, we, we must look at what he means by an unproductive or a futile mind. First Timothy 6 and in verses 3 through 5, he begins to define what, what this looks like. <clears throat> 1 Timothy 6, verses 3 through 5. He says, If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, he is proud knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which come envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicion, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth who suppose that godliness is a mean is a means of gain from such withdraw yourself now one of the things i want us to notice that that he teaches in 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 timothy the some of the same things he's teaching here their minds are futile there's an emptiness about their thinking now, it doesn't mean that everything is, is gone in their minds. It doesn't mean that they don't have the ability to reason. They do. Though the fall left us marred, it did not take away completely the image of God that is left in man. And so man still has the ability to reason, to think, but his thinking in terms of righteousness with God is futile. He goes about it all the wrong way. Notice he says that he does not consent to wholesome words. Even the words of Christ. Christ's words are <clears throat> make no sense to him. He, he is proud. He's arrogant about it. He, he has no shame in what he is uh, promoting and what he is doing and where he is going. He's obsessed with disputes and arguments over words that are to no profit. These come from envy. They come from strife. They come from reviling. They come from evil suspicions. They are from useless wranglings, useless wrestlings, useless conflicts of corrupt minds. The corrupt nature wants to bring us into conflict that means nothing but destroys us. Satan has brought men from a place where God had provided a place that was very good in the Garden of Eden. And when man fell in the garden, immediately futility set in. Immediately death occurred. He was to labor pulling weeds from the ground that used to be weedless. And only to, to, to find that he's going to have to go back out there and pull them all over again. We find that 
though they offered a lamb for a sacrifice, yet it was going to have to be offered yet again because man sinned again. You see, until we understand the problem, we can't understand the cure. Until we understand how deep our sin goes before God, we cannot receive His grace. Grace is received by those who need it. Grace is received by those who know their sin. Jesus told the Pharisee when he went to his house, he says, why has this woman received grace? Because she knew her need. And the Pharisee sat there and didn't know that he was needy. You see, my friends, if we have the idea that we've just got a few little things off in our lives, but we're pretty good people. This is going to be offensive to us. The fact that we have a corrupt mind, that we have a mind that's futile, is worthless before God in the manner of, in, in the sense of being righteous before Him. Not only this, but as we, as we continue here, we notice that verse 18, having their understanding darkened. An understanding goes with the function of the mind. We comprehend things with our mind. We think things through with our brain. And we come to an understanding. But because there's emptiness in how the mind functions in a lost person, there's an emptiness, a devoid of the presence of God. There is now a darkened understanding. God made man to reflect His glory. God made man in His own image. And it ought to be that if man is in the image of God, the world should look at man and say, there's what God looks like. That's how God operates. That's what God is portraying himself to be but alas we know that's not the truth because man has fallen since god has created him and he's fallen to the point where when we look at man we say that's not the way god is we don't have to look but take a glance at the news at the greatest concentration of men and women in the face of the earth some of our biggest cities are some of the places of greatest and most horrendous crime why because we have in our cities piled depravity upon depravity upon depravity and we have neglected the truth that god calls for us to reflect his image and to be holy as he is holy even though they can't see it friends the unbeliever is called to be holy as God is holy. That's God's requirement. And I think we lose sight of it sometimes. I think we feel like things are going pretty good because we feel good about where we are. And I would just like for us to say that many times our reasoning is darkened because of the flesh. Our reasoning doesn't hit the mark. It doesn't go where it ought to go. If it goes where it ought to go, we'll come out where God comes out. We'll think God's thoughts. This word will become how we view the rest of the world. How we view our lives. How we view 
the church, how we view our brothers and sisters. It will, it will affect how we view salvation itself. It will affect how we view grace and truth. The sinful man has a darkened mind when it comes to knowing God himself. His mind does not properly comprehend God because he has no ability to comprehend God. His, his mind is darkened. His understanding is darkened. We find that Paul also talks about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and in verses 3 through 6. I want to read a few verses here. 2 Corinthians 4, beginning in verse, in verse 3. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So we understand from here that Paul again is, is bringing forth the truth that when he preaches the gospel, when he was going from place to place, unveiling the gospel and saying, the Lord has come, Christ has come, he's established his kingdom. What is he saying? Who is it hidden from? It's hidden from those who are perishing. And there's only one way that they're able to see. Because someone greater than them has blinded their eyes. Notice he says, the God of this age. And my friend, this morning, if you are not born again, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, there's one stronger than you that blinds your eyes to the truth. You come to the Word and you want to see the truth and it makes absolutely no sense. It's absolutely a dark book for you. I remember those times. I, rem I grew up having the Word of God read to me every day at home. Reading and, and memorizing it in school. Being taught it in church. And I still opened this book, and it was a dark book to me. And one of the first things I remember when I became born again was that how much I wanted to read. How great the desire was to get into what this book had to say. Listen, it takes a spiritual mind to grasp the Word of God. And we're not going to go there, but 1 Corinthians 2 talks about, the whole chapter talks about how that it takes the mind of Christ. And we have, as believers, the mind of Christ. That is the privilege of understand, of That is the way we understand is we are given the mind of Christ. And so the unbeliever is identified as someone who has a darkened mind, and he's blinded by one who is greater than himself, and his blindness is permeating everything in his life. It's affecting all of life. 
Notice verse 18. We come back here to Ephesians 4. Verse 18. He's, he's, his understanding is darkened, being alienated from the life of God. He is alienated. He's an alien to God. He's separated from God. There's a great gulf fixed between him and God. He cannot. He cannot see the gospel as it is because he cannot see himself as he is. He cannot see God for who he is. And he says that he's alienated from the life that is in God. The life that is from God is, is that which is close to God, that which is in Him, that which is about Him. This means that we are shut out of fellowship and closeness with God. That's what being alienated means. It was the difference between Adam and Eve walking with God in the Garden of Eden. And when they had sinned, God threw them out of the garden and kept them out of it. So that they could not go to the tree of life. They had no fellowship in that sense with Him anymore. It is an estrangement that we now possess from our birth. It is a separation that is inherent in each one of us from our birth. Psalm 58 speaks of this in Psalm 58 in verses 3 through 5. <clears throat> I want to read a, a few verses here that speak about the, wicked, the, the estrangement of the wicked. And let us understand that just because we're not as bad as we possibly could be, Thank God we're not as bad as we possibly could have been. We still carry the root of the issue in us. The difference between Judas and Peter was that, that there was no, uh, no stopping Judas from performing everything that was in his heart to do. Peter too denied Christ, but Christ prayed for him. And Peter was able to repent. And even when you look at sinner versus sinner, you may look and say, well, I'm not as bad as, as the murderer. I'm not as bad as the rapist. I'm not as bad as the guy sitting on death row. Do you not realize that the same root that was in him to cause him to create that heinous crime is the same root that's in your flesh? He may have just been given an opportunity to use it and to grow it and to multiply it in a way that you haven't. This is where we all are. We like to grade our sin by comparing ourselves with ourselves. The reason it's not wise is because we fail to see the root. We fail to get to the root. Psalm 58, beginning verse 3. The wicked are estranged from their womb. They go astray as soon as they are born. Speaking lies. Their poison is like the poison of a serpent. They are like the deaf cobra that stops its ear, which will not hear the voice of the charmers, charming ever so skillfully. Notice he says that they come out of the womb with this estrangement from God. We all know this. We've had children. We've raised children. And we know that that nature is present there 
even though there's a lot of innocence, there's still a, a nature there that's, that's lost, it's defiled. Not only that, he says that they are like the deaf cobra. And these charmers would, would play music or, 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 or make sounds that, would, that, that the cobra was trained to respond to. If the cobra was deaf, the cobra didn't do what he was supposed to do. And this is what Jesus said. He says, I've, I've, I've called to you, and you did not hear me. I was like the children. He took example with the children in the marketplace. They, they, they called to one another in a wedding dance. You, you, but you didn't dance, he says. I, I went, we, we, were, we decided we we're going to be mourners. And, but you didn't mourn. Meaning you couldn't hear. Your ears are deaf because you're apart from God. Lostness, the man of the flesh, has no ability to draw near to God unless God draws near to him. He is without hope and without God unless God draws near to him. Now let's go on here. In not only do we have their understanding darkened, not only are they alienated from the life of God, but there's, this is because there is an inexcusable ignorance in them. And though this may be difficult for us to, to, to understand, God has given enough in His creation so that we might search after Him. God has given enough knowledge of Himself so that we might go after Him and try to find Him. But man rejects. Man, in his lost state, rejects the truth. In Romans chapter 1, and in verse 20, he talks about this, where he says, Romans 1, verse 20, For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, that's God's invisible attributes, are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. Even His eternal God, I mean, sorry about that, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. I want to begin by going up to verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Then he goes on to say that the creation reveals God and reveals Him clearly. It says in verse 21, because they, although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile, in their thoughts, and their foolish heart was darkened. Again, we have this idea that because they did not glorify God as God, because they would not give Him the place He ought to have, that therefore their minds and their hearts continued to grow in darkness. There was an increased amount of darkness. We see that today. 
A serial killer does not get to be a serial killer overnight. The darkness continues to grow because he continues to reject God. He is in a place already of jeopardy, but he adds to it by rejecting God and continuing down the path that brings more darkness into his life. In Acts 17, verses 24 to 27, we have the Apostle Paul here uh, teaching He's preaching on Mars Hill. And we have Paul explaining something that, that I find very interesting in regards to this knowledge of God. Notice that he found that they had a, an altar that they had built to the unknown God. But let's jump, we're going to jump in in verse 24. God, who made the world... And everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is worshipped with man's hands, as though he needed anything, since he gives all life, breath, and all things. He has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings, so that they should seek the Lord in hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. God has not only prepared the creation in the earth whereby they can look, a lost person can look and know that there is a God and that he should seek for him, but he has pre-appointed, meaning God has, has providence over the affairs of men, that they are... Co- Pardon me. that they are under the direction of someone ultimately who is greater than them, who is God. And although the devil has blinded their eyes, God controls that. God is the one who controls how far the devil can go. Martin Luther said the devil is God's devil, ultimately. Now, here he says that God gave you all these pre-appointed places for your for your, for your habitations. He caused the place to be made for you and you for the place. I believe that every person in this life that's born into the world has a place to fill. They have a spot that God has called them to and He's made the time and the place for them. And He's made them for the time and place. And this is why it's important for us to, to think about what God is asking of us. And when he says here that he did this so that you would grope for him. Yes, you're in darkness. Yes, you're blind. But have you even lifted a finger to grope for him? Have you even went after him one time? You see, that's what brought, it was this preaching that brought revival to this place. It was this kind of, understanding that they are accountable to a God who controls all things ultimately and that a sovereign God is going to hold them and bring them to judgment one day. You see, my friends, that is why we're inexcusable. 
God has given us enough from the natural world and from providence to know that we're in trouble. But he's provided his son to deliver us from the trouble. And apart from his son, we will not be delivered from the wrath to come. Providence and creation are not enough to deliver you from the wrath to come. He gave you enough so that you might grope for him, so that you might seek for him, so that you might know him. But unless he gives you salvation, unless your mind and heart are changed, you don't have the ability to stand before God on the day of judgment. Well, now let us go back here to Ephesians 4. Not only, not only are there ignorant, not only is there an ignorance there or, an, or a lack of knowledge, but in verse 19 we find that they have, been, they have gone past feeling. Having given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and in verse 2, Paul here defines this with Timothy. And I think it's a good way for us to understand it. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and in verse 2, he says this. Let me begin in verse 1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. When you have a resistance built up to the truth, as he says, this, this per, these people had their consciences seared with a hot iron. There was no more feeling. There's no more feeling of the honor of God's glory. There's no more feeling of the guilt of their sin. There's no more feeling of the shame that they're bringing to the name of God. There's no more feeling of the urgency that is upon them because the time is short. All these things we feel because there is the truth that's brought upon us. And friends, it is important that if you are, a, a, if you are walking away from Christ this morning, I want you to know that you're adding to that callous day by day. You're hardening your heart against the truth. And he says, I want you to know what this looks like. You will one day, if you continue down this road, he says, they give themselves to all manner of lewdness. You can find old men who will say things and do things brazenly that are wicked, that in their youth they would have been ashamed and would have blushed at doing. Why is that? You don't have to be young to be a fool today. There are those who are old, and they're still fools. Fool is an issue of the heart, friend. And when we add to and add to and add to our resistance of God, we build up something that causes us to not be able to be ashamed of sin. Nor do we have a desire to honor God. Nor do we seek for Him. Nor is our discernment clear 
This is one of the things that we notice that he talks about here. It's, it's, it, it has to do with, with how you perceive things. And as you grow in the grace of God, those who are believers grow in the grace of God, this becomes a greater and greater sense in their life. They're more humble than they used to be. They're more ashamed of their sin than they used to be, though they sin less. They're more acute and sharp to the things that God says, and they care about them more. Brothers, this is a blessing that God has given us in Christ Jesus. And we add to that sharpness, we add to that sensibility, we add to that feeling by getting into the Word of God and continuing to obey what He has called us to do. We notice that as He comes to the end of this, of this part, He says that they work all uncleanness with greediness they can never get enough it's always they always need more they have to have more there's never enough it's the man who's sold out to money and he owns farms and lands and what does he want he just wants everything that touches his property and when that's not enough he wants everything that touches his property again and when he has a bank full of money, he still wants more. And he still wants more because there is no satisfaction there. And I think we need to understand that sometimes. We forget the lack of satisfaction that was outside of Christ. We walk in a place, my friends, where God has filled our souls with goodness and joy. And we're satisfied in Christ. But we must Remember, this is God's identity of the old man. This is how God identifies the flesh. I want to ask you this morning, what have you done with the things, with these things that show, shows us who we are apart from Christ? How do you receive that in your understanding this morning? Do you have a true testimony this morning of being delivered from this flesh? My friends, if you do, it is all because of the Lord Jesus Christ and that He has set us free from the bondage of sin and death. We should never become arrogant in our thinking as Christians because let us understand that the best and most honorable Christians all started here. Not a one of us has started anywhere else. The root of our sin, you say, well, maybe I never, I never committed all these things you've been talking about. You had the root of this issue in your heart from birth. And unless the Lord delivers you from it, you will continue in it. We must rightly trace our sins back to the cause of all sin. And I believe that what stands out to me in this text is the separation from God. And my friends, unless we are drawn near to God, we will continue. We will continue to walk according to our own flesh. Now, not only must we identify the flesh or the old man, but we must put him off. 
We've got to take him off. We've got to get rid of him. <clears throat> Notice he says, that, he says that, but you have not so learned Christ. Verse 20. You've not so learned Christ. This is not how you've learned Christ to be. And notice he didn't start with saying, you've got to do this, and you've got to do that, and you've got to do the next thing, and then it follows the next thing. What is he, where does he start? In the mind. You have not learned this kind of thing from Christ. Christ begins to sanctify us in the mind. It is the mind that gets changed. It is the heart that begins to have an affection for the Lord Jesus Christ and then moves the will to choose differently than what, he had, what we had walked before. We want to look at some of this <clears throat> because this is the biblical road to change. This is the biblical way that God deals with our sin. He changes our thinking and He changes our affections and He changes our will. We find here that there must be a repentance. Now, the word repentance is not here. What, is the word, what does repentance mean? It means to turn. It means to change. It means that where we've been going one direction and we've been lost and headed for hell, that when Christ turned our life around, we walked toward him in an 180 degree direction. And that we did not, we did not just change our, our course a couple degrees for a little while and then go back. But that there was a complete change. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 3. And let's look at, at John the Baptist in his preaching of repentance. John the Baptist was a fiery preacher. He was the one who whom Jesus said he was the greatest. <coughs> He's the greatest of the prophets. And we will begin here in verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John preached repentance to prepare the way for Christ. John preached, repent, because the one is coming who's, who's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And what was he saying? Turn from your sin so that you can understand, so that you can know, so that you can choose Christ when he comes. And his, 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 his message goes on. We're going to jump down to verse 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not think to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God, will, that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones." Repentance, number one, changes our mind about, is a change of mind about God and about our sin. We saw that from verse 
one. Number two here in verses seven through nine. Repentance will change our affections and our natural identity with the root and the root of our sin. They made the excuse that our identity is not one that you just told us, John. They made the excuse that if they said, we've got Abraham to our father. We're children of Abraham. We, we don't have any need to repent. We don't need to change anything. Our lives are just fine the way they are. We have no need to, to move anything. Jesus says, that unless you re- therefore bring forth fr- fruits worthy of repentance, do not say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. He says, I can raise up, uh, out of the stones, I can raise up children to Abraham. And I believe this refers back to, back to Ezekiel and back to Isaiah where he says, I will take out the heart of stone and I will give them a heart of flesh so that I will be their God and they will be my people. I'll write my law upon that heart. And I believe that's what he's saying. There must be a change that is at the root of our identity. We cannot cry, Abraham is our father. Or we can't cry, some man identity is our father. So therefore, we're okay. Repentance does away with all that and says, I need to get to the root of my problem. I need to change the root of my heart. And unless I change... I have not a guarantee of eternal life. Let's go to verse 10. He says, And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown to the fire. He said, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals are in his, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. You see, unless there is the root of repentance in us, just trying to reform our lives a little bit is not going to change in a way that pleases God. It won't change permanently. First of all, we saw here that we see here that how that he is calling them to repent from their sin. And he's saying, don't claim your identity with your forefathers. They cannot save you. They can't bring you back from the dead. And he says, now he says, the axe is being laid to the root of the tree. And what is he saying? He's saying that there is going to be a radical change. The tree of this, of this, of this religion, the tree of this outward form is going to be cut down at the root. And there's going to be another that's going to replace it. And that root is Jesus. And that one that replaces it is Jesus Christ. He says, I'm taking out any excuse for you to say, we've got Abraham to our father. You know, we can look back at a, in history and we can say, well, I've got so-and-so. I belong to a lineage of so-and-so or I belong to a lineage of that person or this person. I just tell you, the lineage of, of the 12 apostles, they could not look back to the apostles and say, because they were my fathers, I'm okay. 
there must be a root repentance where that person is actively repentant before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance, as we find, and I don't have time to turn there, in Acts 11, verses 17 to 18, we find that it is a gift given by God. After Cornelius had, had come to faith and Peter was, was held accountable for his eating with the Gentiles, he explained to them everything, and then they, they acknowledged, so then, repentance has also been given, has been granted to the Gentiles. It is a personal call. And it's what he's saying here in Ephesians 4. You have not so learned Christ so as to walk in the flesh, but you have learned repentance. You have learned repentance as you've come to the knowledge of Christ. Verse 21. This requires a hearing because he says, if indeed you have heard him, it requires a hearing because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, Romans 10, verse 17. Faith comes because we hear the word of God. Because there is, a, there is a, not a seeing of a miracle, not necessarily watching someone perform a miraculous act, but because we hear the truth. Peter even says in, in, in 2 Peter, he says how that, they beheld Christ on the mountain, and it was a glorious thing. But he said there's a more sure word of prophecy. More sure than what I saw on the mountain that day is the word of prophecy that God gave to his, his writers of Scripture when he gave the truth. When Jesus talked about the man who was laid at, at the Lazarus who laid at the rich man's gate. And you remember when the rich man was in hell, he lifted up his eyes and he said, Save me, Father Abraham. Take, take, send Father Abraham and have him dip his finger in a drop of water that he may cool my tongue. And then he says, go tell my brothers. Let me go back. Let me go back from the dead and let me tell my brothers, my father's house, that they're all perishing, that this place is an awful place to come to. <clears throat> and he was told, they have Moses and the prophets. They won't hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they hear someone, though someone comes back from the dead. Brothers and sisters, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. <clears throat> the Word of God produces faith. The Word of God builds faith. The Word of God gives us faith. <clears throat> we saw back in Ephesians 2, verse 8, where he says, For by grace, <clears throat> pardon me, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Faith is a gift from God. Faith is part of grace given to us. And unless grace is given to us, we can't believe. And this, <clears throat> this grace comes in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only have we, are, we, are we to learn from Him, not only are we to receive from Him, but we are to, to be taught by Him. We're to be taught by Him. We're to be taught that, that He calls us to put off the old man. We're called to be taught that His, that his Word 
teaches us that there is a new creation going on and the old has passed away. I want to look yet at Romans chapter 13 in regards to this to this subject because what he is talking here is about is about believers being able to put off the deeds of the flesh, being able to put away the being able to put away the old man and to cast him off. Beginning in verse 11, he says, "And do this, knowing the time that now it is high time to wake out of sleep. For our salvation is nearer than it was when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. You see, to learn from Christ, we must understand what time it is. We must understand that right now it requires urgency. We know the time is short, and we know that the time that where we are as Christians, we cannot be playing around with sin. We know that we have but a short time and we'll be called away from this life. And sin is going to keep us. It's going to hinder us. It's going to darken our understanding of God and make us unable to glorify Him as we ought. So we need to know that now it's not night anymore in the Lord Jesus Christ. We've passed from death into life. We've passed from darkness to light. We've come out of the bondage of Satan into the freedom of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not night anymore. So it's time to cast off the clothes that went with the night. It's time to cast off the deeds that went with the old life. In fact, he says, the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. If you're, if you're thinking with me for just a minute, the bondage and depravity of the human nature that we just talked about, how man is so enslaved to it, God here tells us that we're just to throw it off. We're to take it like a coat that's wore out and throw it away. How do you do that? You cannot do it yourself. Unless there is a work in the heart, there's no throwing off. This is a miracle of grace, my friends, that God would call us to do something that only His grace can provide the means to do it. When Jesus said the way is narrow, this is what He was talking about. It's narrow in the sense that you're only going to throw that coat of sin off, those works of evil deeds, because of Christ and Christ alone. That's why he says we are to cast them off because now we can. Now we can. It's time, and now we can. Now what does he say that we should do? We, we need to start walking in the light of our calling. We need to start walking in the light of our calling. That's what, we're lear that's what we learn from Christ, that we cast off the deeds of, of the flesh and we start walking in the light of what He has given us. 
When a man is blind and he's walking through a woods that's full of roots and rocks and vines and thorns and trees, he can't see where he's going. He stumbles around. He, he gropes around. He, he, he wanders in circles. He, he falls and, and, and he can't make any headway because he can't see. A vine is no different to him than a tree. A rock is no different to him than a stump. And he can't discern what's going on ahead of him. But that's not the case now that you're a Christian. You see into the deeds of these things. You understand them for what they are because God has given you his understanding. You so learn from Christ. And this is what you've learned. That you can discern good and evil. You can understand what he thinks about these things. You can know that this is his will for you to throw these things off. And so he says, we need to start walking that way. We need to start following him in that way. Lastly, but not leastly, we need to stop making provision for sin. It says, make no provision for the lust, for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. We've got to stop making provision for it. You know, my friend, some people like to play with dynamite. And maybe you love dynamite and you bring your dynamite home with you from work. Every day you go somewhere where you can pick up some dynamite and you just, you're, you're fascinated with what you can do with it. And you say, well, it's just a stick of dynamite. I mean, this thing is just, this thing's not harming anybody. It's not hurting anything. But on the outside of that stick of dynamite is a huge warning label. It's not always exploding, but it's always explosive. And that's what it's like when you put sin in your life. You bring sin into your, into your mind, into your heart. It's just, it's not hurting anything. It may not be hurting anything right at the moment, but if it's sin, it's always the potential to take you down. It always is. And so if I took, if I took dynamite home and I stacked it beside my fireplace with my fire starter, it's just a matter of time something's going to go wrong. And this is what happens when you continue to make provision for, the sin, for your sin in your life, friend. You lay stick after stick after stick after stick of dynamite in your life. And one day, one spark sets the whole thing off. And when it does, there's great destruction. And I say this because that's why he tells us, stop making provision for the flesh. Though it is not always what we think it is, if God calls it sin, let's call it what God calls it. Let's deal with it as God would have us to deal with it. But we have the blessed promise, friends, that if we put this off, we can put on Christ. Just as miraculous as it is to take the sin off and to throw the sin off, we have the great privilege of clothing ourselves with Christ. He is the new man. He is the new creation. And you might think, well, well, how is that possible? Again, let's only through Christ Jesus. 
As we saw this morning in 2 Corinthians 5, in verse 21, He became sin for us. He who knew no sin, that we might become the righteous, be made the righteousness of God in Him. Do you see that there's an exchange that happened there? And that exchange needs to be real in your life. That reality that He took your sin upon Himself. You must believe that this morning if you're a child of God. You must continue to believe that. And when you do, you will throw off the works of unrighteousness. And you will put on the, 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 the armor of light, the truth of Christ. But my friends, we must take heed to his warnings. Because when you put off, you must put on. If you put off, you have gone nowhere. If all we could do was put off, we'd be, and we had a blank slate, what would happen? Somebody greater would come and overpower us and take us into captivity. And that's why we take off the flesh and we put on Christ. You replace what your flesh used to do with the Lord Jesus Christ. You replace the work of the flesh with the works of Christ. The same members that you use to sin against God, you now use these things to, to build up the body of Christ and to edify your brothers and sisters, to glorify God. <clears throat> this, this new man is the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is new in the fact that now he is, that he is righteousness and holiness. He is the ultimate perfection that we need for our lives to make us right with God. He is what God said, be ye holy as I am holy. Christ was that all the way through his life, his death, his resurrection, and sits at the right hand of God interceding for us so that we will be made that way. You see, in Christ, we have the ability to be righteous with God. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. God's not at war with us anymore in Christ. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, it's, it's, it's imperative upon us today that we not only should not walk the way we used to walk, we not only identify clearly who we are, who we were, but who we are in Christ. Christ is our new identity. The flesh is not the identity of the Christian. Christ is our identity. And we came to Him because He had mercy on us, not because we figured it out. And so this brings us to an humble assessment, but it brings us to a much-needed cure and fulfillment of our lives. Let's bow our heads for prayer. We come before you, Lord, most holy Father, and we thank you for this word. And Father, I just pray that you would minister it to our hearts, apply it in our lives by the Holy Spirit. Give us wisdom and grace that we may walk the way Christ would have us walk. Lord, we identify with you and we rejoice in your goodness to us. We thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name.